Welcome to Salt and Light with Pastor Rodney Finch. Salt and Light is a radio outreach ministry of Calvary Chapel, Cary. Jesus, speak to me. Open your word and reveal your heart to me. Salt and Light is a series of verse-by-verse studies through the Bible, focusing on its practical application to our everyday lives. Salt and Light is recorded live at Calvary Chapel, Cary, in Apex, North Carolina. Stay tuned. At the end of the program, we will give you information on how to contact us, so be sure to have a pen and paper ready. Today, Pastor Rodney will be teaching from the book of 2 Samuel, chapter 19. So grab your Bibles and follow along. Now with today's teaching, here's Pastor Rodney. If you're joining us for the first time, Second Samuel, you know, divides nicely into three sections. I'd like to remind you, chapters 1 through 10, we have David's triumphs in chapters 11 and 12. We have David's trials in chapters 13 through 24, which is where we are. We have David's troubles. Chapters 1 through 10, David's triumphs. Chapter 11 and 12, David's trials and David's troubles, chapters 13 through 24. 1 Samuel is a book about Samuel, Saul, and David. 2 Samuel is a book about David's reign as king. Seven and a half years in Hebron. 33 years. Anybody know in what city? Jerusalem. I've been telling you that. We have more print on David than anyone else in the Bible except Jesus. David is mentioned a thousand, over a thousand times in the Bible. In 2 Samuel, we learn of the ups and the downs of humanity, the sin, the failures, the victory. The successes, God hides nothing about David. Now, if you've been with us or you were with us last week, David has been driven away from his throne in Jerusalem by his son Absalom. Chapter 18, were you with me? David sets up the armies and battalions and he sent them out. And David told them, if you see my son Absalom, um, show kindness to him, deal kindly with him. And he said, for my sake. And you know, it was a fierce battle. 20,000 men are killed in the battle. Absalom is fleeing the scene of the battle. He comes around the bend and runs right into the servants of David. And while trying to get away, the mule went under the tree and Absalom's hair was caught in the tree. And the Bible says that he was swinging between heaven and earth by his hair. Well, Joab comes by. Joab is a commander in chief. Uh, David's commander in chief. Joab, at least for a little while tonight, after tonight, he won't be. And, um, but Joab, you know, he took three spears or three javelins and he put them in the heart of Absalom. He killed him. And in verse 17 of chapter 18, you can peek there if you like. They took Absalom and put him in a pit and they buried him under a heap in the wilderness, which was legal. According to Deuteronomy, the news came to David that Absalom was dead And that's where we left off. We'll pick up tonight, kind of right there. I've titled this sermon, Joy, Turn to Morning. Second Samuel, saints, I'm going to get you to look at verse 33 of chapter 18. Look at verse 33 of chapter 18. You're looking at it? Say amen. amen. Then the king was deeply moved, and he went up to the chamber over the gate, and he wept. And as he wept, he said... Oh, my son Absalom, my son, my son Absalom, if only I had died in your place, 
O Absalom, my son. And Joab, chapter 19, verse 1, was told, Behold, the king is weeping and mourning for Absalom. And so the victory that day was turned into mourning for all the people. For the people heard it, and they said that day, The king is grieved for his son. And the people stole back into the city that day as people who were ashamed steal away when they flee in battle. But the king covered his face and the king cried out with a loud, loud voice. Oh, my son, Absalom. Oh, my son, Absalom, my son. And then Joab came into the house to the king and he said, today you have disgraced all your servants who today have saved your life. The lives of your sons and daughters, the lives of your wives and the lives of your concubines in that you love your enemies and hate your friends. For you have declared today that you regard neither princes nor servants. For today I perceive that if Absalom had lived and all of us had died today, that it would have pleased you well. Now, therefore, arise and go out, David, and speak comfort to your servants. For I swear by the Lord, if you do not go out, not one will stay with you this night. And this will be worse for you than all the evil that has befallen you from your youth until now. And then the king arose and sat in the gate, and they told all the people, saying, There is the king sitting in the gate. So all the people came before the king, for every one of Israel had fled to his tent. Saints, stop right there. Give me your attention. David felt completely, we talked about this last week. David felt completely undone when he heard about the news of Absalom's death. David was deeply moved, the Bible says. Deeply moved implies, we talked about last week, violently trembling. You know, when you're so upset, you're like trembling on the inside. Have you ever been so upset? You're like sick, like your stomach is sick. You're violently trembling. That's David. And he went up to the chamber and he wept and he said, oh, my son, Absalom, my son, my son, Absalom, I wish I had died in your place. And David says, Absalom, we talked about Names Absalom's name three times, and he says, my son, chapter 18, five times. And David is distraught because Absalom's death is partly his fault. You know, if you've been with us, the Bible said that the sword should never depart from David's house. And the reason the sword should never depart from his house, his house meaning his dynasty, meaning his lineage forever, was because of his sin with Bathsheba. David's actions have consequences for the rest of his life. Bathsheba had a baby boy. And the baby dies. David's son, Ammon, rapes his half-sister, Tamar, and David didn't do anything about it. And Absalom was angry about it, and he kills his brother for Tamar. Absalom is banished as a murderer, and he went to stay with his grandfather, Talmai. Absalom then commits treason and steals the kingdom from David. David is mourning now and weeping for Absalom. He's aware that this is the result of his own sin. And of course, the enemy is probably heaping guilt on David, this burden of guilt, because the enemy loves to place guilt on people. He loves to place guilt. You know, I was thinking about that today and I thought, here's the best verse ever. Got your pen? The best verse ever. Romans chapter eight, verse one. There is therefore now no condemnation. Y'all know this verse? Y'all come on, read it with me. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Best verse ever. For those who are in Christ, no guilt. For those who are in Christ, now, today, not tomorrow, not next week, not next year, but now, There's no condemnation. If anyone had a reason to feel guilty, think about this. It's Saul of Tarsus, Paul the Apostle. 
Is there anybody who understood guilt? It's Paul. He was killing Christians, men, women, and children, carting them off to jail. He was causing Christians to blaspheme the name of Jesus at the, end of, at the edge of the sword. But in the face of guilt, there's another G word you should know. Grace. 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 The Bible has so much to say about grace. John the Apostle, in five of his epistles, letters, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, the Gospel of John, and the book of Revelation, he uses the word grace only seven times. John is the apostle of love. So he used the word grace only seven times. Paul the apostle, on the other hand, used the word grace over 120 times. And I think that's directly related to the guilt that he bore and what he had done and how he had lived. In our text, David is guilty and broken. And I can't imagine losing a son. You can't. You know, I've said that many, many, many times. Losing a child is unnatural. It's unnatural. You kind of think when you grow up, you know, you're going to get older. Your kids are going to get older. You know, they're going to leave the home and come back. And then they're going to leave the home and come back. Then they're going to leave and hopefully they will stay gone. Say amen, parents. Amen. But they come back. And, you know, you think that you're going to get old and your kids are going to bury you. There's something very unnatural about losing a son. Can't imagine someone coming and saying, my son is dead. That's not natural. Verse 1, chapter 19, David is in a chamber completely undone weeping. His son is gone. And David says, oh, my son Absalom, I wish I had died in your place. And so it was Joab. The king came... He came to the king weeping, and he's weeping. David's weeping and mourning. And keep in mind, you know, we forget that David is a king, but David is also a father. He's a king, but he's also a father. And the pain that David is feeling is not the pain of a king. It's the pain of a father. The king is a man with feelings. I think we forget that when people get to a certain place in leadership or they get to a certain place in Um, government, you know, we forget that person is who they are before the people, but they're also a person. That man is a man. You know, somebody once said, God's best men are men at best. God's best men are men at best. They're men. David's a king, but he's also a father with feelings. I think of numbers. That song of Absalom, that guilt, that despair, that discouragement will go out of your head. Did y'all hear me? When you do what is right, that song and that guilt and that despair and that discouragement will go out of your head. Because you're doing what God called you to do. You're doing what is right. And this is a spiritual principle. Listen, when you're going through something and serving Jesus, you got to hold on to your peace. And go stand before the people. Hold on to your peace and do what God called you to do. Hold on to your peace and do what is right, not what you feel. And God will always give you grace. I can't tell you how many times, how many times over, you know, our church is 22 years old in September. 22 years old. 22 years old. Somebody asked me today. They said, how, how you feel? Does it feel like 22 years? I said, yeah, sometimes. 
It feels like 44 years sometimes. And sometimes, no, not so much. No, not so much. And largely because I really never had any, um, you know, I never had any aspirations for church. I never really had any aspirations for ministry. I never, you know, people say, well, you know, what's your statement of faith? I never had a statement of faith, quite honestly. I just believed God and taught the word. And my statement of faith is somewhere between these leather-bound book pages. That's where my statement of faith is. You go figure it out. I mean, I'm just teaching the word verse by verse. That's what we do. Wednesday, Sunday, Wednesday, Sunday, we teach the word. And I, I don't have a statement of faith. And I don't have a mission statement. Like, our mission is to conquer Apex from Center Street to Penny Road. You know, I, we, I never had all that. And I never really, I never had like, um, you know, thoughts of, uh, you know, how many people would come to the church. And I guess maybe way on early, like first two years, I remember saying to Elvira, if I had 250 people come to church, I used to say, honey, if we had 250 people, we'd be a mega church. We had two, man, we had 250 people. That'd be crazy. Can you believe it? We're doing, you know, we had 30 or 40 at the time. And uh, I never really had all that. And so, you know, when I look back at 22 years, well, does it feel like it? Well, not really, because yeah, I'm just going year by year and what God has called me to do, seeking to be faithful every year that God allows me to be here. But I can't tell you how many times that, you know, sitting here in the pulpit, I've had to hold my peace. And go before the people and teach and share the word of God. And sometimes it's hard. I've got to be honest with you. Sitting before the people many times is the last thing I want to do. It's hard to come out here, sit here, and, you know, you're a pastor, but you're also a father. You're a pastor, but you're also a husband. You're a pastor, but you're also a man. God's best men are men at best. And how hard it is many times to just come out here, no matter what's going on, away from this microphone and pulpit and teach God's word. How many times? It's so difficult. It's so difficult. But see, that's what I'm telling you. I've learned that when you are obedient to the Lord, that song of despair and that song of discouragement and that song of defeat will just go out of your mind because you sit here. I'm not thinking about being discouraged. Maybe I was discouraged before I walked in here. You'll know. Maybe I was. Maybe I wasn't. You don't know. But if I was, when I get here, God always gives me grace to do what he calls me to do. I've often told you those three steps are the hardest, the longest walk for me. It's the longest walk. Getting up those three steps. Way in the back, worshiping, and then waiting for God to say, okay, go now. Like, I, you know, I'd rather walk in and just come right up there and just get it over with. You know what I mean? Just get it over with. But God doesn't, you know, I sit back and wait. Okay, God, when is the time? Okay. And sometimes it's like jumping double dutch. you like, you know, it's almost like jumping double dutch. You wait for the rope to get right. And then you, then you're like, then you get halfway going. No, there ain't time now. Not now. Not now. And then go back and sit down. And it's hard to do what God has called you to do, but we have to be faithful when you are a servant of Christ. You do what God has called you to do, irregardless or res- respective of what you feel. David's problem wasn't that he grieved over his son. Listen, his grieving over his son was excessive. That's the problem. Grief is a very human response, and tears are a part of healing. So no problem grieving. The problem was David grieved excessively and he wouldn't allow himself 
to be comforted and he neglected himself and his responsibilities as king. When someone is overcome with sorrow, the problem is, listen, the problem is not in what they know, but in what they forget. Stay with me. When someone is overcome with sorrow, the problem is not in what they know, it's in what they forget. They forget that God is a God of great grace and great mercy and the God of all comfort. They forget that God will see us through every pain and every difficulty. They forget that we are Christians and someday we'll see that loved one in glory again. David allowed his sorrow to last too long. Listen, there is a such thing as... Um, excessive sorrow. There's a such thing as excessive sorrow. Excessive sorrow is rooted in doubt and disbelief. First Thessalonians uh, chapter 4, verse 13, David writing to the church at Thessalonica, he says, I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, that's died, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. We Christian folk, we don't sorrow like those who have no hope, or we don't mourn like those who have no hope. You know, I've officiated funerals, and um, maybe not so much here, but in other places, and, and I've seen people, you have too, who sorrow when they don't have any hope. They seem not to have hope, and I've seen that. People, you know, they get so overcome. I've seen people try to get in the casket. They're so overcome, they try to get in the, in the grave. They're so overcome. And we Christians, we don't, we don't sorrow like that. Because we know that if that person believed in Jesus, somebody say amen. You'll see him again, right? You'll see him again. So that's why we don't sorrow as those who have no hope. You know, statistics show that in the U.S., approximately 2 million people die each year. That's a lot of grieving people every year. And the loss of that loved one is very much like the loss of a limb, isn't it? It's like uh, emotional amputation, and it affects people deeply. You know, I've heard of people, I heard people say, well, give it time. If somebody passed away, and the loved one, and people try to comfort you, and they say, oh, just give it time. It'll get better over time. Listen, it does not get better over time. It, you know, it, I think it depends on what you do with that time and how you know, how you feel, but it doesn't get better over time. You know, we've all heard and been familiar with the seven stages of grief. And the first stage of grief is shock. When you hear someone we loved has died, psychologists tell us there's an emotional numbness that takes place. And that's a normal response triggered, put in us by God to, uh, by the nervous system of the body and it's God's way of anesthetizing us and, and the person so that we might be able to face the reality of death and handle the days to come. The problem is when this stage lasts too long, excessive mourning. When the stage lasts too long, that's abnormal. And it will cause problems in the future. And that's what happened to David. Jesus knows, listen, what it's like to lose someone you love. I think of John chapter 11. Remember, Jesus wept at the death of Lazarus. Abraham wept, Genesis 23. Two, when Sarah died at Kirjath Arba, which is uh, Hebron, and Joseph fell on his father's face and wept over him, Genesis 51, Acts 2, 8, 2, 
a devout man carried Stephen to his burial and wept and made great lamentation over him. Nothing wrong with sorrow and grief, but it should not be hopeless sorrow like the world. You know, I was thinking of grief, and all of a sudden I started singing, What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and grief to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. Oh, because we do not carry everything to God. We should sing those old songs. We don't sing them. Marlo. We need that on Sunday. It's on. That's a good song. That's a great song. So David allowed his sorrow to last too long. And it almost cost him the kingdom. David, the father, forgot. He was also David, the king, with the crown. Look at verse 9. Let's read a little bit more. Verse 9. Now all the people were in a dispute throughout all the tribes of Israel, saying, The king saved us from the hand of our enemies. He delivered us from the hand of the Philistines, and now he has fled from the land because of Absalom. But Absalom, whom we anointed over us, has died in the battle. Now, therefore, why do you say nothing about bringing back the king? Okay, we got to stop right there. Keep in mind, David survived Absalom's attempt to overthrow the kingdom, but the kingdom wasn't restored to David yet. The tribes of Israel understood what David did for them. They understood they rejected him and embraced Absalom. They understood that Absalom is now dead. And this left the people of Israel in a dispute about bringing back the king David. And they only wanted, note, they only wanted David back after the false king was dead, after Absalom failed. Don't you see that? This is true of many people. Many times we only decide to bring back King Jesus when our false kings have failed us. And another thing to note, there's always a dispute when the right king is not on the throne. There's always a dispute. Note two things. It's always harder to bring back the king the second time. When we first became a Christian, we received Jesus. And maybe at some point, you know, we backslide or people. Yeah, that's still a word. You haven't heard that in the church forever, have you? Like people don't say that back. We say, you know what? We have uh, taken a rest. We've taken a rest from the kingdom. I'm like, you, what? You've taken a rest from the kingdom? What does that mean? You backslid, or you fall into sin, or you blow it. Listen, it's harder to bring back the king the second time. And true, we know God forgives us, but it's hard to forgive yourself. It's hard to bring the king back the second time because actually we're surprised we sin. Don't you know God is not surprised when you sin? You're surprised when you sin. See, when you come to God, you actually think that you're like a trophy in God's china cabinet. I get it, but you're not, okay? Look at your neighbor and say, you're not. You're not. Some of y'all don't have a neighbor. Y'all like, I don't have a neighbor. I'm not. You're not. Contrary to popular opinion, we're not. 
So we fall into sin, we surprise ourselves. The second thing I want to tell you is when we start to decide who we want to be king, there's always strife. When we decide we are king, there's always strife. When the right king is on the throne, there there will not be strife. There's only one throne and one person on it, and it ain't you. It's not my throne. It's King Jesus' throne. It's the only throne that he will sit on. And the people who were in dispute said the king saved and delivered us, and now he's fled from the land because of Absalom. Look at verse 10. They said, listen, Absalom, whom we anointed is dead. He's gone. Why aren't you talking about bringing back David? They're saying David is the one who delivered us and saved us. And David isn't going to force his reign on Israel. He will only come back if the tribes who rejected him agree to bring him back. Look at verse 11. Let's move forward just a little more. So King David, in verse 11, sent to Zadok and Abathar the priest, saying, Speak to the elders of Judah, saying, Why are you the last to bring the king back to the house since the words of all of Israel have come to the king to his very house? You are my brethren. You are my bone and my flesh. Why then are you the last to bring back the king? And say to Amasa, are you not my bone and my flesh? God do so to me. And more also, if you are not commander of the army before me continually in the place of Joab. And so he swayed the hearts of all the men of Judah, just as the heart of one man. So they sent his word to the king, return you and all your servants. And then the king returned and came to Jordan. And Judah came to Gilgal to go to meet the king, to escort the king across the Jordan. And Shimei, remember him, the son of Gera, a Benjamite who was from Baharim, hurried and came down with the men of Judah to meet King David. You have been listening to Salt and Light, a radio outreach ministry of Pastor Rodney Finch and Calvary Chapel Cary, located in Apex, North Carolina. Join Pastor Rodney Monday through Friday at this same time. For information regarding service times, you can contact us at 1-800-293-0923. That's 1-800-293-0923. You may listen to today's broadcast in its entirety by visiting the Media Library on our website at cccarry.org. We would like to thank you for tuning in to Salt and Light and pray that you have been blessed. Until next time, may you be salt and light.